good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We are studying at uh, this time in our prayer meeting the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, of course, Thy Kingdom Come. And with that in mind, I want you to turn, please, to Colossians chapter 1. It is the nature of these studies that we have to make our way around uh, various verses. But uh, tonight, let's begin by turning to Colossians chapter 1. Um, we're going to read from the verse number 9 of Colossians chapter 1. <coughs> Colossians 1 verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might work, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light, who hath delivered us from the part of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom in view in this second petition is of course the kingdom of God's Christ. It is the messianic kingdom that's in view, particularly in this petition. The kingdom promised to David that of David's seed there would not fail to be a son of David sitting upon the throne forever and forever. That kingdom came in the coming of Christ as the king. That kingdom that he inaugurated by his obedience to death, even the death of the cross. Whereby he's given that name above every name. He ascends to the throne of David as we have taught for us in Acts chapter 2. And yet, we understand that kingdom is still yet to come in its absolute fullness. The victory won on Calvary has still yet a future dimension, and not yet of the kingdom. Christ himself looks to that future day as he inaugurates the Lord's Supper and tells the disciples that he will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when he drinks it new with them in his Father's kingdom and hence the shorter catechism when it answers the question as to what we pray for in the second petition the answer is this we pray that satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened Uh, now you see there is a, a present reality of the kingdom and yet there's also a kingdom that is yet to come, the kingdom of glory that may be hastened. And so I want to return tonight to look in particular as to what's involved in praying thy kingdom come. And so first of all, we are praying for the conversion of sinners. In the language of the catechism, we are praying that ourselves and others may be brought into this kingdom of grace Entering the kingdom is synonymous with salvation. To be saved 
is to be part of the kingdom of Christ. To be saved is to submit voluntarily to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, we have Paul praying for all believers. He's praying for all who have, who have been converted by saving grace. And as he describes those believers, he speaks of them in verse number 13 as having been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Having been taken, if you like, taken by gracious force from the part of darkness and being placed into the kingdom of God's dear son. It is a work of grace. Paul emphasizes that this work of translation is not something done by us, but something done to us. And that's why we have the necessary duty of praying for this to happen. That souls would be converted, that God in his grace would translate others into the kingdom of his dear son. It is a work that is a work through Christ and his atoning work. It's connected in verse 14 with redemption through his blood. And so those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ are those who are in the kingdom. And those who are in the kingdom are those who know forgiveness of sins. You can't have forgiveness without submission to the king. And so as we are praying for lost souls, we are praying for those who don't know forgiveness and we're praying for those who are presently living in a state of rebellion. Understanding that is, is so very important. We are praying for those whose will is set against what we're praying for. They're facing the wrong direction altogether. They are quite content in Satan's kingdom. They're quite content to be in the power of darkness. And what they need is a miraculous work of the Holy Ghost as God the Father translates them by the Spirit into the kingdom of the Son. We must never go far away from those basic truths of man's absolute depravity and God's absolute sovereignty. And so as we pray, we understand we're not praying for people to get a foot up and to get a little, a little help into the kingdom. We are praying for something that is absolutely impossible to natural man. I say that because I want to impress upon you the need for urgency in these prayers. That we understand our absolute dependence upon the part of God to save rebellious sinners. Your rebellious sinner might be three, four years old. They need the same absolute sovereign part of God to bring them from darkness into light as does the 44-year-old who is well set in his ways of rebellion. The same part of God is required. And so please, as you pray for the Sabbath school work, as you pray for the families of our church, as you pray for the young, as you pray for the old, pray with this sense of absolute burdened dependence upon God. We are praying for the conversion of sinners. And you pray such prayers with the knowledge, the knowledge that God is willing and able to save them. You're not praying for souls to have by their own free will the desire to be saved. You're praying for God to change their hearts. And praise God, he's about that business. 
And so you can pray with that confidence in mind as you pray for your loved ones and families and pray for neighbours and pray for this district. Revive us, O Lord. We're praying for God to come and save souls. That's part of what it is to pray by kingdom come. But moving on tonight, we're also praying for the confirmation of the saints. Not just the conversion of sinners, but the confirmation of the saints. Again, the catechism puts it this way. That ourselves and others, and I'm paraphrasing here, may be brought into it and kept in it. When you read a document like the Shorter Catechism, we do, of course, understand that this is a document written by men. And therefore, it is, it is not infallible. But it's helpful. It's a helpful tool to organize our thoughts in this second petition. But we must, we must examine it. Is it right to include and kept in it in the language of our catechism? Is that a, is that a, is that a helpful inclusion in the language of our catechism? Well, we understand from Acts chapter 14 when Paul is returning on his first missionary journey, he, he encourages the believers that through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. That's an encouraging word, isn't it, Paul? You know, you're, you're going to enter the kingdom, but you're, you're going to do it through much tribulation. And so when you come to examine Paul's own writings you see that whilst he understood the necessity of tribulation to enter the kingdom, he also understood that that tribulation was faced with the presence of God and with the grace of God. Turn please to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Second uh, Timothy, of course, Paul is coming to the end of his earthly pilgrimage his time on this earth is coming to the end. He is he's convinced that he is about to give his life for the Lord. He says how he's fought the good fight. He's finished the course. He's kept the faith. Verse number 7 of Second Timothy 4. And as he contemplates that and thinks about the experience he's had in his trials for the Lord, he's got the sad reality that others have left him. He's been forsaken. And yet it says there in verse 17, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a sense of confidence. Now, now note, he believed that he's going to die shortly for his faith. And yet he says, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. How do you get those things together? Well, of course, we think of the psalmist. The Lord shall preserve my soul. The Lord shall preserve me from all evil. It's the spiritual preservation. Our souls are kept. Though our bodies may be burned, our souls will not be lost. And that's the spirit of the apostle here. But nobody says, the Lord will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. That kingdom that he understands in verse number one of the same chapter, 
to be the kingdom that occurs at Christ's appearing. Christ who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. This kingdom that comes as Christ returns. And so Paul is understanding that his, his soul is kept unto death. His soul is kept at the point of death. And his soul is kept after death. His soul is kept all the way to the appearing of Christ and the fullness of the kingdom. He understands this to be God's work. And as we thought about God's work being the work of saving sinners, so it's also God's work to confirm and keep the saints. Compare this with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn back there, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm turning you back here because I have mentioned to you again the kingdom comes in fullness when Christ appears. And here we find Paul praying thy kingdom come to the believers in Thessalonica. And he prays in chapter 5 in the verse number 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here you have now an inspired example of somebody praying, Thy kingdom come in a manner that includes the confirmation of the saints. Kept, preserved unto the coming of our Lord, kept by the power of God. And just one last uh, reference, 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> 2 Peter chapter 1, because you must understand as you do that this work of keeping is, is by the part of God. And so you have in 2 Peter chapter 1 and the verse 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The promise again that those who are kept by the part of God in the midst of tribulations, shall have this abundant entrance into the kingdom. God answers these prayers. God keeps his saints all the way into the kingdom. Now, this keeping does not preclude the need to persevere. In fact, in the context here, the brethren are to give diligence to make their calling and election sure. And that diligence is a diligence unto maturity. They are to give all diligence, verse number 5, to add to their faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, etc. There is to be a growth. There is to be a diligence. There is to be evidences, if you like, a persevering in holiness. And for such, there is then this abundant entrance. And so, you understand this in, in theological terms. There is a need for the believer to persevere, to pursue holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And yet they do so only because of the, the grace of God. We're kept. But we know we must pray that we will be kept. Because we know we're kept by the keeping grace of God. 
And so every day you rise, you, you say, yes, uh, today I have decided to follow Jesus again. Today I decided to put sin to death and to put on Christ. Today I'm deciding once more to be holy unto the Lord. I'm not going to waver from that. I'm going to keep on keeping on. That's a daily duty of every Christian. But we do so in the spirit of prayer. We do so understanding that we must be kept in the kingdom by the power of God. It's a reminder that when we're converted, we're still prone to wonder. And the only way we keep in the kingdom is not because we're jolly good Christians, but we're kept in the kingdom by the power of God. And so do you pray this for yourself? Do you take this prayer? Thy kingdom come. With a sense that if God does not keep you, you're going to be lost. Do you get up in the morning with a sense, Lord, if you don't keep me from falling, I'm going to fall. And therefore there's this burden, this daily burden. Where you realize the absolute necessity of the grace of God to keep us from falling. But not only are we to pray this for ourselves. As the Catechism says, that ourselves and others be brought into it. And, and I'm paraphrasing, and that ourselves and others be kept in it. Christians. Christians have many, many faults. Churches have many, many faults. And it was once said of the church that the church is the only army that buries its wounded. And so it is so often the case in the Christian church. As a brother or sister struggles to keep on keeping on, there is a tendency within the heart of the Christian to condemn and to dismiss. And sadly, we are very slow to ask ourselves the question, did I pray for that brother? Did I pray for that sister? And that as, as we witness them battling with remaining sin, as we see it, perhaps we, we, we suddenly realize, oh, so-and-so, they haven't been in church for a month. And we understand their, their struggles. And then may the Holy Ghost, may he convict us that we then say, oh, I've neglected to pray for that dear soul for the last month. You see, we're, we're told here, the Lord teaching us, thy kingdom come, we're, we're told by the Lord and by the example of the apostle that it is our duty to pray and that God would sanctify his people and that his people would be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we, as we perhaps will lament the spiritual condition of some, May, may we make sure that those laments are followed urgently with a sense of burdened prayer for their souls. May it be true in our families, may it be true in our church, that we have that sensitive spirit, and that we realize not only do we need to be kept by the part of God, but those around us also need to be kept by the part of God. So we pray for the confirmation of the saints. Thirdly, we, we are to pray for the conquering of Christ's enemies. The language again 
When we pray thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed. And 1 Corinthians 15 makes it abundantly clear that Christ's kingdom has still a fuller fulfillment. He must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And there is a future fuller fulfillment of the kingdom that will come as Christ appears. And yet we pray for the progressive overthrow of the enemies of God. That the kingdom of Satan will be destroyed. But I mind you that in many ways uh, this happens when souls are saved. Satan's kingdom is eroded as souls are taken from his power into the kingdom of the Son. We've already read Colossians chapter 1 regarding our translation from the part of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But turn, turn back to Acts chapter 26 and you will see there it's a very strong parallel to Colossians chapter 1. Acts 26 in the verse number 18 where Paul is explaining his own ministry. He says his duty is to open their eyes. Verse 18 of Acts 26 and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan Unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance. I encourage you sometime you, you look at those verses together, Acts 6 26 and Colossians chapter 1, and you'll see there they are very close parallels. And so the part of darkness in Colossians chapter 1 is here the part of Satan. And so in part we're praying for Satan's kingdom to be destroyed when, when souls are converted. But yet there is still a broader prayer. It is clearly God's will to destroy the kingdom of Satan. Many times in the Gospels we understand that is, that is Christ's purpose. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 16 and the verse 20, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. There's a fuller destruction of Satan's kingdom that is yet to come. We know that's Christ's purpose, 1 John 3 and the verse number 8. For this purpose the Son of God has manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, we are to pray for Satan's kingdom to be destroyed. If it's God's will, then that's what we're to pray for. That's what prayer is, isn't it? Prayer is praying back God's will. That God would do as he's promised to do. So what are we praying for? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. We are clearly to pray against false teaching. Second Corinthians 11. And the verse number, the verse number 13 describes false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed. As the ministers of righteousness, we ought to pray for those charlatans who appear to speak truth but are speaking error. For those false apostles, those false prophets who are messengers of Satan and are deceiving people through false teaching, we have a, we have a right and a duty to pray for Satan's kingdom to be destroyed. And one manifestation of his kingdom is deceit, he is a liar. And he spreads his lies through these ministers of righteousness. Here are Satan's angels in light. We need to pray for that. We should also pray against political opposition. You think of Psalm 2 and how the 
kings of this world, they come together, the rulers. They're against the Lord and against his anointed. There's, there's the kingdom of Satan against the kingdom of God's son. They're against the Lord and against his anointed. And the Psalm 2 was taken by the apostles in Acts chapter 4. And as they contemplate their own persecution, they quote Psalm 2. Why doth the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? And then they simply pray, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. That's a prayer for thy kingdom to come. That the political forces who are against the church of Christ, those forces of Satan, that they would be overthrown. And that the gospel would advance through the world. You can go where you want in those prayers in terms of the, uh, the country in which we live. But never forget those dear persecuted believers across the world. They know what it is to be under the authority of political opponents who would do everything they could to crush every semblance of true saving faith. When you're praying, my kingdom come, don't forget to pray for the persecuted church. So we're to pray for the conquering of Christ's enemies. I didn't say the conquering of our enemies. Romans 12 is clear in the contrast there. We're to leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We're to love our enemies. We're to bless those who persecute us. But we are in a general sense to pray for the overthrow of Satan's kingdom. Finally, we are to pray for the coming of Christ himself. We think of Revelation chapter 22. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. To which the response is, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. So there is within our prayers even this sense of praying for the fullness and the coming of Christ in his kingdom and his glory. All of these petitions will really search our hearts because we pray for those things that we desire. And so are you praying, thy kingdom come? Are you praying for the conversion of sinners and the confirmation of saints and the conquering of Christ's enemies and the coming of Christ himself? Do your lives, are they so overwhelmed by carnal material desires that we pray for those things? I neglect to pray thy kingdom come. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.